On one side, Sting Squadron. Has Sting managed to recruit the athletic talent needed to win this grueling war? On the other side, Paulie's dangerous alliance. Is Paulie doomed to destruction? We'll find out as WCW presents Wrestle War 92. Hello once again and welcome to the Retro Wrestling Podcast. I am intern Alex, joined as always by the referee extraordinaire Patrick Young. The world's greatest referee. Last week we talked about how well you could count to three. Have you improved your skills this week? I have. Okay, uh, count I, to three please. One, two, three. Even better. Even better. Even better than last. You're always improving. That's what makes you the world's greatest referee. Exactly. I can count to five and even ten. You need that for the ten count outside, but you know in Japan it's a twenty count. Exactly. So you're gonna yeah. when you go overseas, you're gonna need to remember that. I haven't yeah, I haven't gone to Japan yet. We're gonna have to wait and see about that one. We entered another uh, pretty slow week in the world of uh, pro wrestling, Patrick. We didn't really have much go on. But wrestlers were in the news as CM Punk made his debut at UFC two oh three in Cleveland, Ohio. How and did he do in that match? CM Punk faced Mickey Gall, a fighter with seven years of experience. CM Punk two. Mickey Gall has a blue belt in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. CM Punk has a white belt, and if you know anything about the colors of belts, that's not very good. The only belt I like is gold with a black strap. Mickey Gall defeated CM Punk by submission, a rear naked choke in 2 minutes and 14 seconds of round one. He will get another match. That's sad, too. Because he does sell pay-per-views. He is a big name. He's an, yeah, but I mean... What he was trying to do had never been done before. You know, a fighter with zero amateur or professional fights fighting at the top level. Imagine becoming a pitcher and Major League Baseball having never thrown a pitch in your entire life. That's essentially what he was trying to do. But he tried and... It was it was a little too high I think for anybody to be able to pull off. He was immediately taken down by a double leg takedown and after that it was pretty much elementary as uh, Mickey Gall tapped him out. And now Mickey Gall uh, will move on to bigger and better things and CM Punk will probably move on to fighting on the Fight Pass prelims in the next UFC event so we'll see how CM Punk fares. He did come out to Cult of Personality though so he kept up, kept kayfabe, he came out to his entrance theme. I didn't get to see the fight, so, I mean, I'm going strictly with what you were telling me. Other than that, it was actually a very terrible card. I've seen a lot better UFC cards this year. For true wrestling fans, on the WWE Network, the uh, collection section, we had Hidden Gems. Have you seen this yet? I have not checked out the Hidden Gems, no. The collection has the likes of Luthez and Ray Gunkel from 1951, a two out of three falls matchup. You have title versus title as the World Wrestling Federation champion. Bob Backlund takes on the NWA World Heavyweight Champion 
champion Harley Race. You have matches such as Brett the Hitman Hart taking on Terry Funk in the Beyond the Match retirement match. Beyond the Mat, I'm sorry, Beyond the Mat. If you have seen that, you know of this match and you have uh, you've heard of it. But turns out it wasn't his final match. No, Terry he's still wrestling. Terry today. Funk says he's you know he's going to retire every couple of years and it never happened. This is the one I'm ecstatic about. This match was argued as to whether or not it took place, whether or not it did and did not happen. WWE went to the archives and pulled out a match from October 23rd, 1983 at the Omni in Atlanta, the last battle of Atlanta. Have you seen this match? No, I'm aware that it takes place between Tommy Rich and somebody else in a cage. That's all I know. It is Wildfire Tommy Rich versus Mad Dog Buzz Sawyer. And this is not just a cage match. This is a cage match with a roof on top which led way to later in 1997 with having the uh, Hell in a Cell match. What year did this take place? This took, this took place in 1983. Oh, so this might have even predated War Games. It did. Wow. This is the first cage cell enclosed match ever. I've heard about this match that it was filmed. It's only one camera. That it looks is a it. it is a ECW style match. It is a hard camera. You you don't have cuts. You don't have anything. It is a camera from the balcony looking down into the ring. I saw on WWE.com they put up an interesting story about how this was discovered. It was actually on the tape of another match on someone's VHS tape, and they just stumbled upon it. They exactly uh, all we have had so far for this before this was just pictures polaroids but even in them you couldn't tell whether there was actually a roof on top or not but the storyline with it was that if wildfire tommy rich wins over buzz sawyer that paul ellering who was in a cage hung high above the ring oh like paul bear like paul bear or jerry the king lawler or you know so on and so forth if tommy rich won paul ellering would would be put into the cell to take on the one and only ole anderson so uh, not only on that entire 28 minutes of match do you get to see this legendary bloody feud match with Wildfire Tommy Rich versus Buzz Sawyer, but you also right afterwards get Paul Ellering and Ole Anderson, which was extremely entertaining. Old school wrestling at its best. Strictly one camera. Here it is. Take it for what it's worth. Another rare gem that I that I saw, I haven't checked this out on the network, but I saw that it was uploaded, was Undertaker in Smoky Mountain wrestling in 1995 he was signed to wwf at the time so they've loaned it out to jim Cornette and smoky mountain wrestling this is when uh it was in 1995 and he took on the unibomb who is the unibomb the unibomb later became the one and only isaac yankum aka the one and only big red machine kane oh so the whole undertaker kane feud actually started in smoky, smoky mountain, mountain wrestling. wrestling that's crazy i didn't know that happened i didn't know undertaker was ever loaned out to anyone else. That was a test matchup, believe it or not. To Kane, sign Glenn Jacobs. To sign Glenn Jacobs. And, uh... Well, I guess it worked he out showed. Uh, he showed... If you haven't seen that match, you should watch it. And it turned out that, uh... 21 years later... 21 years later, here we are. We've got... Kane, still on the SmackDown <laughs> roster after all these years. Which brings me to SmackDown's first ever brand split pay-per-view following 
the latest draft. Tonight is WWE Backlash. We're taping this on the Sunday. I know the last episode came out yesterday. I apologize. It takes me a while to edit this stuff. I, I will try to get them out sooner, but our last episode was released yesterday, and today is our new episode. This is the Sunday of WWE Backlash, September 11th, 2016. It's the first ever brand-specific pay-per-view. What are your expectations going into this, Patrick? It's gonna suck. <laughs> well, you put it very bluntly. It is It is going to be shit. How do you fill a four-hour pay-per-view with half the roster of Raw? I don't know. Is it really four hours? Well, with the pre-show and the main card, four hours. It's gonna be an actual pre-show of the pre-show. There's not gonna be any ma- How are they gonna put matches in there? There's nobody to wrestle. There, it is gonna be a lot, a lot of talking and commentary because you are not going to have that much. I don't even know the card, truthfully. I'm going to watch it because it is a wrestling show, but... Uh, we pay $10 for the network. Yeah, so. but, I mean, it's something major needs to happen for it to stand out, or it's definitely going to go down as being a what-in-the-hell-were-they-thinking kind of moment. Well, here are the announced matches. I'm sure there will be some uh, add-on matches. Definitely going to get Apollo Cruz and Baron Corbin on here somewhere, and they've had no build going into the pay-per-view, so these are going to be put-together matches. But here are the announced matches so far. They're not in the order of how they'll be presented tonight, so forgive me for not going in order, but we'll start with The Miz. He's the Intercontinental Champion. He's with Maurice, and he is taking on Dolph Ziggler. Who's your pick to win that match? Quite frankly, uh, I have to go with The Miz, because Dolph Ziggler is going nowhere. Me too. Dolph Ziggler. This is the same storyline that he had at SummerSlam going in against Dean Ambrose. He said, I can't win the big match. I need to win. I'm going to win sometime. Might as well win now. He went in. He lost. He's a loser. I think what they're going to try to do is ride that storyline with him. So I, I'm going to go with The Miz as well. After The Miz's promo on Daniel Bryan earlier in the month on Talking Smack, you can't take the belt away. He's hotter than he's ever been. That was that was intense. That I loved that. That was almost believed to be a shoot interview, even though it wasn't. And it shows that not everything has to be scripted. If you have a performer that's capable of delivering a good promo, you don't need to script it right don't sit don't sit a list of what exactly am i supposed to say hand me some talking points hand me some points send me out there here's what we're going to do i think that's uh that's one thing that we're missing in wrestling is the heartfelt feeling of having somebody give an interview because if you hand me a script and say memorize this word for word there's not going to be really any emotion in it show their character because the show doesn't tell you anything about miss right all the all the show tells you about Miz is that he wrestles Colonel Sanders from time to time. That in itself is completely ridiculous. That is, WWE has sunk to new lows to have a themed match for another company. Basically, this match is the chicken versus Colonel Sanders. It is the chicken versus Colonel Sanders and I am going to crack up laughing so hard if they show up in ring dressed that way. No, no, no. That would be the Miz should never acknowledge that ever happened again. After, (laughs) After that shoot style promo on Daniel Bryan it should never they should never talk about the chicken another match announced for the card Randy Orton the biggest face on Smackdown he's taking on the second top heel Bray Wyatt who's your pick I think we gotta keep Randy Orton strong here we gotta keep Randy Orton uh, I think we're heading to Randy Orton versus AJ Styles for Survivor Series is probably where I'd go I think we're gonna go I'm gonna have to go against you on this one I think uh, Bray Wyatt to try to get some some type of a heel baby face thing going instead of just having AJ Styles 
Styles and that's it. We've got to get some more storylines. We've got to get some more stuff going with more people. So you think Randy Orton and Bray Wyatt will continue on to No Mercy? I think it's going to carry on, yes. I just don't see it. I think Randy Orton wins tonight, and I think Randy Orton would win at No Mercy. I do think this storyline continues, but when was the last major feud Bray Wyatt won? It's it's been a while. I don't remember any. Dean Ambrose. We had the Wyatt family versus the Shield at one point. We had the Wyatt family versus New Day. Roman Reigns and the other Samoan guys. I love the Wyatt family gimmick. I love the Bray Wyatt gimmick as a whole. It takes you back to the Florida Championship Wrestling with uh, Kevin Sullivan when he did the whole... Uh, gimmick about he has his whole cult following and so and I think that's where they came up with the idea if you uh, have heard Dusty Rhodes he specifically said that that's where he came up with the idea for the Wyatt family and but yeah if if Bray Wyatt does not win a match a major match pretty soon it's going to kill the Wyatt family and what they have going with them completely Um, next we have the Usos taking on the Hype Bros this is a qualifier to meet Heath Slater and Rhino for the new Smackdown tag team title Okay, two questions. Who wins the tag team titles? The Usos. You say the Usos. I think the Usos will beat the Hype Bros, and they will beat Heath Slater and Rhino. I'm going with Heath Slater and Rhino. But that would kill Heath Slater. His whole gimmick is not being signed. If he wins, he's signed. That was the stipulation. Right. You have to have a finish to that gimmick, or that storyline has to come to an end. No, it should run on forever. It should always run on forever. I don't think we should ride that one too, too far. We have the women's title, the WWE. SmackDown's Women's Championship, a six-pack challenge, Alexa Bliss, Becky Lynch, Carmella, Naomi, Natalia, and Nikki Bella, all for the WWE Women's SmackDown Championship. I don't see Becky Lynch winning because she's in a better position to be chasing the title. Nikki Bella and Carmella are in a feud. I see that continuing, so they're out. I don't see Naomi or Alexa Bliss, so I'm going to have to go with Natalia. You have me with that one as well. I agree. Natalia, I see walking out with this new title. She's a heel. Becky Lynch can chase her until WrestleMania. And Becky Lynch and Natalya can put on a great match. And finally, for the WWE World Championship, we have champion Dean Ambrose taking on the phenomenal one, AJ Styles. Where do you go here? I'm going AJ. I don't see them changing the belt. That has to continue. If you're going to continue Bray Wyatt and Randy Orton, you have to continue Dean Ambrose and AJ Styles. And that won't be continuing with AJ as the champion. He'll need to get the belt. Probably a Survivor Series. I see a three-pay-per-view program here. Dean Ambrose honestly hasn't been champ that long. They've been booking him very poorly with the comedy, wacky Dean Ambrose stuff. He really feels like a placeholder until AJ gets the belt, but you can't have AJ get the belt right away. Well, here's here's the deal on my side of the whole thing. Everybody, including myself, was ecstatic to see Dean Ambrose finally get a push, finally get the title, finally get his chance. It has done nothing but just turned into a joke. And if I was Dean Ambrose, I would be pissed that WWE is making me do this crap. I'm the one with the title. I have a live microphone. They're not going to fire the champ. I'd get out there and I'd shoot I'd shoot an interview or a promo right then and there on live TV. That interview he did with Stone Cold Steve Austin, it seemed like this is a guy that just needs a job. <laughs> he just he's going to do what they tell him to do the, and he's not going to complain. No. He's not going to complain. Speak your mind. Stand up. Say, you know, hell no, I'm not doing this. I'm doing that. This is wrong. And that's why you end up having a lot of these guys uh, walking away from WWE. 
um, Alberto Del Rio this week turned around, gave his notice, and, and separated. The difference in the win that AJ Styles had over John Cena, where it's the biggest thing that ever happened, he's got the armband, it's the greatest thing that ever happened to AJ Styles. But when Alberto Del Rio returned from being not signed by the company, he was working for Lucha Underground, unannounced, wins the U.S. title, nothing happens. Nothing, yeah. They send him to a program with Kalisto. He got great matches out of Kalisto, but then the League of Nations had. I think they had an idea with the League of Nations and instantly knew, we got to get rid of this. Right. This, we made a mistake. It, it just, it was a bad booking. It because was... they made merchandise for it. I've been looking at WWEshop.com for the last few months, and they still have League of Nations shirts for $6 for King Barrett and now Alberto Del Rio. It just... And you can get them in any size. That's how bad they're not. <laughs> you can get them in Yokozuna size. Yeah, they're not even selling for fat people. They're just for sell- six dollars. For can't six sell. bucks. I mean, they can't sell. So, like I said, it's going to be a really crappy pay per view. We're just going to have to go with it. Fans, bear with us. We're trying to change the world of professional wrestling better for you here on Retro oh, Wrestling Podcast. One episode at a time. I can feel the the momentum. The shifting. momentum is shifting. Wow, it yeah. is. Earth shattering. Because when because when you and I say jump, they say how high. Oh yes. Well, Patrick, this is uh, this is a milestone episode. It is of the Retro Wrestling Podcast because this is number three. This is number three, and it's the last podcast I will ever do in my twenties. That is that frightening is, stuff. That is frightening. You get to 30, Patrick. I know you're a couple of years away. I am. You're going to get there and you're going to think, man, I have made some mistakes in my life. I wish I could rethink some things, do things differently, and don't find myself in a studio reviewing Wrestle War 1992. But yet here I am. Things just worked out that way. And just for you, I have the greatest birthday present of all. I am going to have every single person out there listening to this podcast write in and wish you a happy birthday. Wow, thank you. I, so your mom will be wishing me a happy birthday. Everybody is going to be all wishing. All three people, you, me, and your mom. Will wish me a happy birthday. I'm pretty sure we have more fans than that. Well, Patrick, if they go to twitter.com slash retro W podcast, they can see all of our episodes. It's and, amazing. And if they want to listen or follow me on Facebook, it's Patrick Young or Patrick Young Wrestling. That is just that simple. That's it. That's it. I don't really need a gift this year. This is my gift to the world. There, there you go. Is the Retro Wrestling Podcast. And my gift to you this week was reviewing Wrestle War 1992. One of many wars WCW fought. As you know, they fought the Monday Night Wars, and they fought World War III several times. Several times. You would think after the first World War III, it would become World War IV and V and VI. No, it's just World War III over and over again. I was thinking the same thing, actually. Just like Wrestle War, this is like the fourth Wrestle War, but it's still just Wrestle War One. So here we go. It's May 17th, 1992. What a time in pro wrestling, and what a dark time. One of many dark times. For WCW, their icon, their legend, Ric Flair, had jumped ship the prior year when Cowboy Bill Watts came into power and he wanted Ric Flair to take a pay cut, number one, and he wanted to change his gimmick to Spartacus. And Ric Flair said, I don't think so. And he took his WCW world title belt and took it to WWF because he paid a $40,000 deposit on the belt. He's not going to give that back until he gets his money. And they weren't going to give him the money back. And WWF used it on TV. It's pretty shocking when you think about it that WWF had the WCW world title on their program in 1991. That is insane to think about. Yeah, the fact that they acknowledged it and used it uh, Bobby Heenan, the real world champion. The real world's champ. Forget Hulk Hogan, the real world's champ The real world's champion is coming. 
And he arrived, and he won the WWF World Title in the 1992 Royal Rumble. One of my favorite Royal Rumbles of all time. I think it's one of the best ever. The best Ric Flair promo, I think, ever is when he... The pay homage to the man speech is one of the best Ric Flair promos I would agree with of you. all time. I would agree with you on that as well. Now, here we are in May... We're at May 17th, 1992, so at this point, Flair's already dropped the belt. He dropped it to Savage at WrestleMania 8. So their top star, WCW's top guy, has already gone and won the the biggest belt in the world. And so now they're lost. Sting is the WCW World Champion. We're at Jacksonville Memorial Coliseum in Jacksonville, Florida, and there are 6,000 people in attendance. Only 6,000 people for what I think is a pretty good pay-per-view. You would be one of the few that think that. Okay, we'll talk about that later. Tony Schiavone and Eric Bischoff welcome us. They're in director's chairs. They're not facing the ring, so this is how Raw does it now, where the announcers don't even face the ring. Have you noticed that? I have. We'll see, and you don't have announce tables to break uh, people through anymore. Well, they're going to have to go a long way. I think they're going to eventually make their way to that announce table and break it. That announce table will get broke at some point in time. Patrick, they're going to have to have a slow 10 count. That's going to be very slow. For them to make it up there. In just a few years, Tony Schiavone and Eric Bischoff will be fighting for the VP job for WCW. So here we are, the two potential future bosses sitting right beside each other. Why are they sitting beside each other? Why is Shivani not on play-by-play? Because Jim Ross and Tony Shivani pretty much hate each other. And they had the one and only Jesse the Body Ventura. That is true. Jesse Ventura debuted on the Super Brawl, Super Brawl 2, just a few months prior. So Jesse Ventura and JR are on play-by-play. I was always curious about Jim Ross's relationship with Tony Schiavone, and there's an article on WWE.com that Jim Ross basically says he doesn't hate Tony Schiavone, but it's it really comes across like it's a weird relationship. Jim Ross is the best male version of your grandmother. He can give backhanded compliments like nobody else in the entire world. Tony and Eric discuss Sting's broken ribs and that the Dangerous Alliance will be zeroing in on them during their match later tonight. So I hope Sting was watching the pre-match stuff. He, he would know what they're going for later on tonight during War Games. They toss to Jesse Ventura and Jim Ross. Jesse's got a bald head with a ponytail and a black pleather jacket with snakeskin vest. You know how Macho Man looks ridiculous, but you think, he still looks cool. He pulls it off or whatever. Jesse Ventura is the opposite. It looks stupid, and it is stupid. It it doesn't translate. Jesse the Body Ventura is a -a one-of-a-kind individual. I love Jesse Ventura. Everybody loves Jesse Ventura. You have to love Jesse Ventura. Jesse, run for president, dude. We need you in the White House bad. I'm not sure about that. Okay, up next we have the U.S. Tag Team Titles. WCW had two belts. They had the World Tag Team Titles, and these are the U.S. Tag Team Titles. So just like in 2016, two Tag Team Title belts. We actually had three. You had the World's the WCW and the U.S. tag titles. Excuse me? You had the world tag titles. Okay, who had the third set of belts? I'm not sure who had the third set of belts. See, I think there were only two. Well, the U.S. tag team titles, they have the WCW tag team titles, they have the U.S. tag team titles, and also Patrick decided tonight who gets a shot at the IGWP tag team titles for New Japan Pro Wrestling. We've got Greg the Hammer Valentine and the Taylor Made Man, Terry Taylor... Or better known as the... Red Rooster. 
who said <laughs> he gave interviews, he gave promos as an actual rooster. He did. And but, he pecked at the ground with his head. Yes. And he had a little red mohawk. He did. Terry Taylor, I am a huge fan of. No, no, no. No one's a fan of Terry I, Taylor. I love his in-ring ability. I am. I hate the gimmicks. Just let him be Terry Taylor. Well, this gimmick's pretty bad because they just took his last name and they said... Hey, your last name's Taylor. You're a tailor-made man. And they put him in a suit. That they was put him it. in a suit. And done. they put him in a suit. Done. WCW booking committee. That's a Cowboy Bill Watts for you. <laughs> the Free Birds are out first. They come out to a terrible theme song. At first, I thought this was a WWE Network dub. I it's, thought they had dubbed over because it's not. there was actually some problems with Bad Street USA and the copyright of it for some time. WCW even dubbed over it on the VHSs. So I thought this was a dubbed over theme. No, this was the Jimmy Jam and Michael Hayes classic. I'm a free bird. What about you? It's a country song. It is a country song. It's weak. It's I, weak sauce. If I have to go with a wrestling country song, Rap is Crap can beat this a lot better. There's a it's a bunch of crap. I hate rap. Rap is crap. Rap is crap. Oh, rap is crap is a that's Grammy-winning classic that compared is my, to this. That's my theme song. JR mentions how dangerous the Freebirds DDT is. The DDT is the most over-move in pro wrestling in 1992. You'll see it later on in the show. Michael Hayes and Terry Taylor, they start the match. The Freebirds, by the way, consisting of Michael Hayes and Jimmy Jam Garvin. This is not the real Freebirds lineup, Patrick. No, this is this is the fourth Freebird. This, this is, is Jimmy Freebirds Jam. Light. This is Jimmy Jam. This is the Hall of Fame combination. This is the Hall of Fame. Well, all four of them are in the Hall of Fame, so... But, yes. Michael Hayes and Terry Taylor, they're going to start the match. Michael Hayes struts and does some styling and profiling in his weird Michael Hayes way. He's not as elegant as Ric Flair. Uh, Terry Taylor tags in Valentine's, and he runs the ropes, jumps over Hayes, and runs into his tag team partner, Greg Valentine. The hammer lands a couple of chops and gets caught with an atomic drop from Michael Hayes. Then Michael Hayes lights up the hammer with some chops and then tags in Jimmy Jam. Hammer runs at Jimmy Jam while he's in the corner. Jam moves out of the way, and Hammer runs his shoulder into the turnbuckle. So Jimmy capitalizes with some arm bars. This is the story of the match, is working the shoulder and the arm with some arm bars. The most exciting move in wrestling. It's a uh, it's a slow starting match. It's I, I got very bored with this match very quickly. Hayes jumps in while the ref is distracted with Taylor. He applies an arm bar of his own. There was never a tag, but the ref allows Hayes to continue. So here we go. The ref's making a mistake right away. Terry Taylor, rightfully, he complains to the ref about this. And Jesse Ventura agrees. I love Jesse Ventura because he's always, he's got his rule book out, Patrick. He, he does. He doesn't miss. He has a referee rule book, and he goes by it religiously. He doesn't miss anything. He does not. Hammer tags Terry Taylor back in. The Freebirds get Terry Taylor in the corner and take turns working his arm while they tag in and out. Jimmy Jam stays in and hits a running crossbody on Terry Taylor for a two count. Then Jimmy Jam tags Michael Hayes back in. Terry Taylor lands some standing headbutts with Michael Hayes. 
And Jesse's afraid that Taylor's so stupid, he's throwing these headbutts, he's going to knock himself out. Michael Hayes locks Terry Taylor into an arm bar. So here we go back with the arm bars, even though they injured Hammer, and now it's Terry Taylor in the arm bar. Terry Taylor throws Michael Hayes into the elevated entryway. This is that entryway that's level with the ring. I wish they would bring that back, by the way. I don't miss this at all. I love the entryway. I hated when TNA went back to it a few years ago. There's so much more you can do with a raised ramp all the way, even with the ring. We'll see it a little bit later. Michael Hayes, he lands a big elbow for two and tags Jimmy Jam back in in the match. He gets thrown outside and Greg the Hammer lights him up with some chops. Jimmy climbs back into the ring and Greg the Hammer Valentine tags in. Hammer lands some more chops. There's not a lot of moves happening in this match. The tailor-made man tags in while Jimmy Jam keeps going for the hot tag to Michael Hayes. Hammer gets tagged in and Michael Hayes finally gets the hot tag. Back body drop on Greg the Hammer Valentine. Michael Hayes makes the heels headbutt each other. Then all four men enter the ring. Hayes tries for a DDT on Greg the Hammer Valentine. And tailor-made man hits him with a five iron. You know what the five iron is? It is a fist. It's a closed fist. Was Jesse Ventura was going on and on about. It should have been a DQ, Patrick. It should have been a DQ. It was a closed fist and uh but the referee's back was turned hammer covers him for a two count so the five iron didn't get the three so didn't get the job done hit him again with it the crowd's chanting for the free birds terry taylor tags in and he tags in and he just rakes michael hayes eyes he hits a gut wrench power bomb on michael hayes for a two count and tags back in the hammer hammer softens up hayes for the figure four and gets it locked in he didn't have the uh hammer jammer on he did not like ruggish ronnie garbage Ruggish Ronnie Garvin would have been prepared and had the hammer jammer on, which is just a shin guard that protects you from a figure four patch. Jimmy Jam runs in, breaks it up. Hammer puts Hayes into an arm bar and lays in some chops in the corner, more chops. Terry Taylor tags in and he eats a big left from Hayes. Garvin gets a hot tag and hits Taylor with a back body drop. Jimmy Jam batters both the heels. And then Garvin nails Taylor with the DDT. One, two, three. New U.S. Tag Team Champs, the Fabulous Freebirds, in 16 minutes and 2 seconds. What are your thoughts here? That was a long, long match. I think it was long, and they didn't have a lot of moves in the match. There was a lot of chops. Greg the Hammer Valentine, I've always found him to be a terrible wrestler. He's got a terrible look. He's one of the ugliest men on the planet. I enjoy Greg Valentine's matches. Oh, of course. You like everybody. You are the Mick Foley of the podcast where you like everybody. Everybody's great. Uh, No, I really do. Greg Valentine has had... You like Greg the Hammer Valentine, but you don't like Eddie Guerrero. He's had... No, Greg Valentine has had some great matches. This was not one of them. No, this was a thrown-together tag team. I don't know how they had the U.S. tag team belts. They're not going to draw any money with these guys. And I was really disappointed in... Jimmy Jam Garvin and Michael P.S. Hayes in the fact that this match just was so long, so slow, not a lot of true action in it. It was, uh, it should have gone seven. I think that they should have opened the card up with the Steiner Brothers tag team match. It was a lot faster pace. It was a lot that. faster pace and, and a lot better match. I think this match would have been better, too, if Hayes had spent most of the time inside the ring when Garvin got the tag. Garvin was not very good. I would recommend somebody to go out there and watch it and see what they think. Shoot us a, shoot us a call, let us know. I would recommend skipping this one. This or, is yeah, fun. I mean, if you don't care about it, then skip it, yeah. Up next, we have Johnny B. Bad versus the Pistol Tracy, Tracy Smothers. You made me watch a Johnny B. Bad match, dude, seriously. We've had Mark Merrow before, so now we've had two matches for Mark Merrow. He's one of the most featured people on the three episodes of the podcast. Mark Merrow is so bad, dude. 
I thought he was good. Mark Marrow is He's so fine. bad. He gets a bad rap. Mark Marrow is the worst wrestler on God's no, great earth. No, no. Pistol Tracy Smothers doesn't help here. Tracy Smothers is a great wrestler. No, he's trash. But, but this match sucked so bad, dude. Tracy Smothers has a wonderful mullet, a beautiful mullet. Uh, Mr. Johnny B. Bad comes out. He says, he's so outrageous, it's contagious. And he is wearing eyeliner. Real talk here. I think Johnny B. Bad is supposed to be a black person. Really? He seems very dark. I mean, he his gimmick is Little Richard. Well, Mark Merrow is. No, he's not. He's not? He's not an African-American gentleman. <laughs> he is not an African-American gentleman. No, because you saw him in uh, Final Four. He's not. He's very tan in this match. I thought he was half and half. Don't think so. I think. <laughs> I really is, think so. I think they passed him off as being an African-American gentleman, <laughs> and he is not. Which, there's a million other people to give the little Richard gimmick too. But yeah, Johnny B. Bad comes out wearing <laughs> eyeliner and he's got gold tights on. This is a uh, pre-gold dust. This, this is, is pre-gold dust. Uh, he, uh, but yeah, they made it very clear that his hero was the one and only legendary something. Little Richard. S- little Richard. The flamboyant one, Johnny B. Bad. I think it's Johnny for president on the back of this uh, tape there, buddy. Oh yeah, right. Are you saying you went to vote for this guy? I'm just saying he's the only guy in the world that has little Richard for a hero. Nobody to rock and roll, Jacksonville, and the whole world. I'm the greatest wrestler of all times. I'm so outrageous. It's contagious. It's time to Let's not sit down. Let's get But, yeah. He comes out. As he's walking around the ring, he gets money stuffed into his boot by some ladies ringside. At least they didn't stuff it into his Speedo. I really thought they were reaching for it. If you go back and watch very closely, they're reaching for his tights, and he's like, no, 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 and he just puts his leg up there. Hey, that's a pretty good way to make money, though. I mean... Oh, I agree. I'm not... These wrestlers aren't getting paid very much. I'm not denying that fact. The fact that he left it in there through the entire match, however... Was a little too much. Jesse Ventura mentions that Johnny B. Bad, he throws a closed fist too, Patrick. He does. And that he should be DQ'd and that the refs are missing out because they're not DQing him because JR talks up his gold gloves record. This is not the gimmick to mention his boxing background. This is, they should mention his old soul singing days or something. Yes. Why are they allowing so many closed fists? They're doing battle in the other ring. This is the two rings set up for war games later, so they go into the... Uh, the further ring away. I guess you have to put on matches in both rings because you sold all these ringside seats. Well, you have to. You want to try to keep it even with each match uh, when you have two rings like that because you don't want one ring, the ropes, to get any looser than the other. So as you see throughout the night, they do swap back and forth between rings. Johnny B. Bad opens up this match with a couple of arm drags and smothers bails outside to regroup himself. This is apparently a light heavyweight division match, despite both of these guys being well above the light heavyweight division rankings. I was going to say, Tracy Smothers is not a light heavyweight, so... You'll see this a lot tonight, where Jesse and JR mention that these are the light heavyweight guys. We'll see it a little bit later, too. Mark Merrow hits a flying crossbody for a two-count. Smothers hits Merrow with a Karate Kid-style dropkick. 
Did you did you see this where he he does a drop kick, but he only hits him with the one leg? It is a it is a drop kick in Seguri, and uh, still to this day when he wrestles, uh, he he can do this, and it's very impressive to be in the ring and watch Tracy's mothers do this. He gets a two count for that. Smothers drags Johnny B. Bad's face against the rope, so he's going to smear that mascara all over the ropes. Smothers goes upstairs and hits a reverse elbow on Johnny B. Bad for a two count. Then we have Smothers going back up to the top rope. Hey, it worked the first time, and he hits a flying crossbody, but Merrill rolls through it for a quick two count. Then Tracy Smothers puts a reverse chin lock on Bad, and this is where Johnny B. Bad does his little hook up. He does a sunset flip, and Smothers stops him. He does the whoa, the... I can't catch my balance. The the uh, OSW calls it the uh, Aloha because he looks like a hula dancer to get his balance. There you go. That's a good way to put it. He stops him and punches him in the face. JR mentions Johnny B. Bad's left hook is called the kiss that don't miss. Do not mess up his mascara or makeup. You will get the kiss that don't miss. You will get the kiss that don't miss. Johnny B. Bad hits a high knee. Then he goes up for a flying sunset flip for a two count. Tracy Smothers goes for a big boot. And Bad hits the kiss that don't miss for the win in seven minutes and three seconds. Close fist. You got to open that fist. Come on, refs. Catch him. What'd you think about this match? Oh, my God. This was terrible. This was fine. This was terrible. This was fine. This was I for a Tracy Smothers match. I was extremely disappointed because Tracy, I love Tracy, Tracy Smothers. Smothers. Is shit. I love Tracy Smothers. Tracy Smothers you is see, a good. Here we go again. Tracy Smothers is a good too. friend of mine. Of Tracy course. Smothers is a great wrestler. I love. He's the my wild, best friend. He's the greatest wrestler of all time. I love now. the wild eyed Southern boy, Tracy Smothers. He's garbage. And Mark Merrow is pretty much garbage, too, but he's not as bad as people think. Mark Merrill was garbage when he stepped in a ring, period. Never. He never got better. He's good. He's a good mid-card guy. He's a good guy <laughs> I to wouldn't have on even the put him. I wouldn't even put him in the first match. Mark Merrow is that bad. We go backstage, and Missy Hyatt is with the Freebirds, but Precious is with them all of a sudden. She mentions they've been singing hard and fighting hard. behind the Freebird Enterprises to do it. Missy, it's a real pleasure to be here, and my boys have worked really hard tonight, and it's paying off. They've been singing hard, they've been wrestling hard, and it's all right. They've made it tonight, and they're new champions, and I love it. Thank you, Squeezy. I tell you, we feel great. We said we were going to do it, and we did it, just the Freebird way. If we say we're going to do something, we definitely do it. As you can see here now, we had our work cut out for us, but the DDT, as we always said, is only a heartbeat away, and right there it was. We've seen our opportunity, and boom, one, two, three, the U.S. Tag Team titles go to the Birds. Yes. First of all, Missy, I want to say we dedicated this match to Ronnie Van Zandt and the whole Leonard Skinner band. And wasn't it ironic that right here in Jacksonville, where Leonard Skinner was born, where Southern rock and roll emerged, is where the fabulous Freebirds are climbing that stairway back to heaven. And this is only the first step. There's an NWA Tag Team Tournament for the world titles. Guess who's knocking on the door? There's somebody else has the WCW World Tag Team titles. Guess who's knocking on the door? I can't say why we do what we do, but we are the free birds and that's our excuse. 
If they've been singing hard, they need to go back and try that again. Because they they have, you know, Jimmy doing, Jam singing needs some needs doing some help. doing you know concerts and then wrestling too. That's you know two lifestyles. That's pretty difficult. Hayes dedicates that terrible match to Leonard Skinner. <laughs> because they're in Florida, where. Jacksonville, Florida, where Leonard Skinner was founded, so this is cheap heat. Even though I don't think the crowd could hear this, but he dedicates the match to a bunch of dead people in Leonard Skinner. <laughs> yeah. Uh, That's not the match you want to dedicate I, to people. <laughs> that, uh, I don't know where he was going with that. I don't know. Yeah. He ends with... They are the free birds, and that's their excuse. That's they right. don't need an excuse. They, they won. They won, yeah. So that, this is a stupid tagline. That was a bad interview, bad tagline. Do you ever uh, find yourself saying, I'm Patrick Young, and that's my excuse? No, <laughs> I don't. Yeah, you never find yourself in a situation? No. you like you Because my excuse is, I'm the greatest. Oh, you're the greatest, and that's your excuse. That's my excuse. So when you get pulled over by the police officer for speeding, I'm Patrick Young, I'm the greatest, and that's my excuse? Yeah. And then you get a ticket. See, I don't get tickets. All right. When you look as when you look as sexy as I do, you don't get tickets. Then we go back to Eric Bischoff and Tony. They're talking about Scotty Flamingo and I, Marcus Bagwell. I did not know who <laughs> yes, in I, the uh, hell Scotty Flamingo was. It's funny. Last week I said we'll have to do some research on Scotty Flamingo. Wow, I was very surprised <laughs> when we found out that Scotty Flamingo had evolved into a different bird, a bird of a different breed. We'll find out in just a minute who Scotty Flamingo really is. <laughs> he, they talk about Scotty Flamingo and Marcus Bagwell, that young upstart Marcus Bagwell. He's out first. He is a white meat baby's face, and he is very young looking. Uh, he I, is young looking. He, I think this is the best shape that he. This is better than Buff. He looked better. He than looked buff. in. He looked in really good shape. He did. He, he wasn't. He wasn't too chiseled. He was just. He was jacked. He he looked like he could really kick somebody's ass, and uh, and take names. So, had yeah. a great haircut. Had a great he, haircut too. He yeah. had. He was well ahead of the mullet. The mullet was a very popular haircut on this edition. Marcus Bagwell, no, he had a crew cut. He, he knew did. it was up. And ladies and gentlemen, his opponent. He's from Palm Beach, Florida. He weighs 226 pounds. Scotty Flamingo. Scotty Flamingo is out next. He's wearing a reverse Undertaker suit, is what I like to call it, because it's a white tux with a white hat. And on the back, it's an airbrush painting of himself. Now, this is a this is something I see you wearing. I would wear an airbrush painting of myself. Absolutely. Yes. I don't think white's your color, though. No. Now that we're past Labor Day, I don't think you could pull. I this can't suit pull off. white off. No. Yeah. Oh, and for pants, Patrick, this is what I really saw you in. Was he's got acid-washed tearaway jeans. I so need those. You need acid-washed tearaway jeans. There's a lot of times you find yourself saying. Man, I've got these great acid wash jeans. I need to tear them off. I do. Just like Cesaro. I imagine a lot of times the, the women tear them off of me. So, you know. <laughs> I imagine a young Cesaro watching this and saying, that's what I'm going to do one day. Uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, that's a whole other story. He strips down to his boxers, I guess. <laughs> I mean, he wrestles in his boxers, essentially, but it's a Speedo, which, which are pink like a flamingo. They if are. his name is Scotty Flamingo. But but let's reiterate here on just who in the hell Scotty Flamingo is. Scotty Flamingo. Now, you think with a name like Scotty Flamingo, why didn't this guy last in WCW? With a gimmick like Scotty Flamingo, 
How could he not be the world champ by the end of the year? How did he even get in? Who thought of Scotty Flamingo? This is more Cowboy Bill Watts bollocks. Th- this here, I is think. this, ladies and gentlemen, was Raven. He from, evolved. He evolved he turned from a flamingo into a raven. Into a raven in ECW, and he blossomed as the ugly raven, and, not the pretty pink flamingo. And uh, and and Raven is a very talented wrestler. He looked and, great here. And he did look great here. His but his style, a little off. Who in the hell thought of calling him Scotty Flamingo? I think his actual name is Scott. So they just took that and they said... Flamingo, though? Seriously? And he, you think with somebody like the name Scotty Flamingo, it almost makes me think of Rick Martell, like that kind of character. Where right. He's an aristocrat, he's snotty, he's snooty. Right. Raven just has a white suit on. He, no. He doesn't yeah. exhibit any qualities no, not, of that. No, not any. Yeah. It, Jesse, this is a face versus face match, and so Jesse Ventura being the heel commentator, he picks Scotty Flamingo because he's more exotic looking. They trade lots of slaps to begin the match. A nice manly way to start a match. Just when you're a Flamingo, I'm going to slap you. Is that how a flamingo would fight? You have to fight like a flamingo. You have to fight like a flamingo. He should have done the whole red rooster thing and actually flapped his arms and stuff. There you go. As Raven, he could have kept that. He could have kept that. Birds. (laughs) Bagwell hits a back suplex for a two count. He follows it up with a vertical suplex for a two. Scotty Flamingo hits a belly-to-back suplex and follows it up with some strikes. He goes up to the top rope and drops a fist and then rolls into a reverse chin lock on Bagwell. Flamingo holds this chin lock forever, and then he finally transitions to just a normal choke. He gets a two count. They fall over the top rope. Now the ref lets it go, Patrick, because the top rope, the most dangerous rope. In the NWA rules, if you're thrown, if you throw your opponent over the top rope, you're disqualified. Now, neither person pushed right, the that other was their logic. over the top rope. They just if happened fall to together, fall together. So, so basically, if you're on the verge of being dumped over the rope, grab onto your other guy. Yeah. And that way you both fall together. And then it neither goes one, on. yeah, the match goes on. So, Have you ever roughed a match where that was a DQ? I have. Really? I have. And it was, where? Uh, it was in Atlanta, and it was an NWA show. And yes, that was the rule was, you know, hey, make sure if they do do that. That's a DQ, so... I meant to mention this early. Scotty Flamingo here, if you look at him from the back, he looks like Carlito because he's got the big, poofy, curly hair, and he's very tan. He, and I He's almost African-American. <laughs> because he was so tan, I didn't even realize who he was till he actually got down to his little Speedo. <laughs> and I was like, son of a bitch, that's Raven. So, yeah. Bagwell hits an axe handle and does the lasso gesture, so the rodeo call. That's uh, Jake the Snake. That means the the DDT's coming up next. Exactly. But no. Instead, he hits a perfect plex on Scotty Flamingo. He gets a two count because Scotty Flamingo was very close to the ropes. Scotty Flamingo then just rolls up Bagwell with the tights, and Scotty Flamingo takes the match and the fight in seven minutes, 11 seconds in this light heavyweight contest. Scotty Flamingo. And Marcus Bagwell. This match was... Was shit. This match was bad. This match. I thought this was okay too. It was better. See, and you criticize me about giving no, that because compliment. you're just like every wrestler. I look at the matches. I don't look at so much of the wrestler. There this match, match was. This match was bad, dude. You have to admit, this match was. 
This was better than the previous two matches. Would you give it that? Would you? I would give it that, yes. I'd say it's definitely better than the Freebirds match. I would give it that, yes, but all three of them were shit, so... Well, there was no story to this match. This was just two random people. The crowd had no idea who they were. Yeah, no. But then we go to a promo... For Beach Blast. For Beach Blast. Just when you thought it was safe to go back to the beach... WCW Beach Blast. This summer, beat the heat with a barrage of buff vibes and bodacious babes. Because WCW is cruising through the party down on the Gulf Coast. We're talking a sizzling slam fest. One huge scene, a mega rager. It's totally featured. WCW Beach Blast. Beat the heat live. Saturday, June 20th. Be there only on pay-per-view. Call your local cable operator for availability. Which the, is a great pay-per-view, by the, the predecessor way. to Bash at the Beach. JR and Jesse toss to a recap of Abdullah the Butcher and Cactus Jack beating Ron Simmons and JYD. Hops into the ring to break it up. That happened at Super Brawl 2, so that sets up our next match. Okay, did you see this promo? I want to make a statement here. Did you see that promo and watch that video carefully? No. Now, of course, security is supposed to stop him, yada yada. But this guy... JYD, who's a big man, comes it's down. like China at Final comes, Four. Comes down the steps. Can't miss him. Can't miss him. I mean, gets anywhere near the ring whatsoever. A security guy way back there is like trying to stop him, thinking, no, you need to go to your seat. <laughs> oh, no. Thinking that it's just some random fan, doesn't even know who he is. Even if you didn't know who he was, J- he's a giant man. JYD knocked the shit out of him. JYD sent that guy flying. And then he got to the ring, hopped the guardrail, and and you know broke up. Yeah. Now I didn't I didn't notice that. That's, it was, it was you'll have to go back out. and watch that. He knocked the hell out of him. So up next we have Mr. Hughes and Cactus Jack. They're taking on Ron Simmons and JYD, or so you think. Mr. Hughes and Cactus Jack are out first. Cactus Jack is wearing a beaded poncho type thing. It's got little uh, little bedazzled uh, not bedazzled. He's got little. Uh, Indian beads hanging off of Native American Native beads. American. Sorry. We have to be politically correct here. Then we get Ron Simmons and JYD out next. But Cactus Jack, he's not going to wait for that, man. He well, is not he wait. snuck around back. Right, yeah. He hopped off, snuck around back, and jumped them as they were coming out. That's right. This is one part where the entryway being elevated is cool. It because is. Because Cactus Jack attacks uh, Simmons and... JYD. Cactus and Jack attacks JYD on the ramp. Simmons heads into the ring to take on Mr. Hughes. Now, while Cactus Jack is brawling with JYD, Cactus Jack hits a big elbow off the ramp. A whole five feet, Patrick, they mention. A whole five feet. Wow, that is some elevation he gets on that elbow. He hits a big elbow on JYD, and he says, bang, bang, after he does it. And JYD can't continue. They carry JYD off into the back, and you that's, think that's it. You think, you know, hey. The match not, didn't happen. The match didn't happen. No we're not con- going to have a match. No contest. All of a sudden, you hear some music hit. Yeah, before that, Ventura says, hey, they should ring the bell. This match is over. Count the ten. They didn't show Count up. out Ron Simmons and JYD. Exactly. No show. Because no the two show. other competitors are in the ring. They're there. As they're supposed to be. Cactus Jack is in the ring with Mr. Hughes, and he's screaming, Ron Simmons! <laughs> Get out! Ron Simmons! 
Ron Simmons! Why isn't the referee ringing the bell? Ron Simmons! It was really bad. Oh. It, was, it was really bad, Cactus. Simmons comes back out. So he, his music His hits. music hits. The place goes nuts. He Ron comes Simmons back comes back out. And I'm thinking it's going to be a handicap. Two on one. Yeah. We didn't even get that shit. No. That's too good for us, Patrick. So Simmons comes back out and the heels double team him in the ring. Simmons hits him with a double clothesline, and then Cactus starts screaming like a goat. He goes, and he just rolls out of the ring. The ref decides this will be a one-on-one match with Hughes and Simmons. But there were no contracts involved. There was no contracts. This was was not discussed. And I agree with what Jesse Ventura was saying. Why don't you just tag him in? Jesse Ventura loves the rules, and JR keeps fighting him about it. JR, JR is saying, oh, well, you know, the ref can do what he wants, and Jesse's saying, no, no, he can't. They should tag, tag they each should other tag in. tag each other in and out. Simmons hits a spine buster on Mr. Hughes. This is big Mr. Hughes, by the way. He, they mentioned he's close to, they kayfabe it, he's close to 400 pounds. He's still massive. We saw him last year. We he did. Is, uh, he is half the Mr. Hughes he used Mr. to be. Mr. Hughes. Uh, he's Mr. Huge here mr huge mr hughes uh he's he is a very was a very big man now he's very slim slender but uh runs a wrestling school in atlanta and if you want to train that's a great place to go if you're close by so simmons hits a spine buster on hughes and follows it up with the three point stance and a tackle for a three count in five minutes and 22 seconds i love this match because <laughs> it was the shortest it wasn't that I love this match. The Cactus the, Jack, the Cactus Big, Jack Elbow Big Elbow was awesome. Was awesome. Uh, I loved Mr. Hughes uh, with Ron Simmons. That was a great you match. You like a guy that wrestles in suspenders. That was a great match. I, I love watching Ron Simmons. I think Ron Simmons and Mr. Hughes bo- uh, both are great wrestlers. Uh, I loved the, the the playoff with JYD getting hurt. I It had everything that a match needed. This was a great match. Yeah, JYD was legitimately injured before this, so this was how to write him out of the match. But I did not know that. Jesse Ventura has a good point, though. Just make it a singles match. Make no one will ask match. any questions. We go back to Tony and Eric Bischoff. The crowd gets to hear their commentary. That's odd that they actually have their mics up going over the 6,000 people they get to listen in. Bischoff brags that the ring is a whole five feet off the ground. Well, Mick Foley dove a whole five feet, Patrick. He could never dive off anything higher than that well i will beg to differ on that but then we get todd champion he has an american flag jacket and olympic rings on his pants who in the hell is todd champion who the hell is super invader because (laughs) super invader is out next his ring attire is a red and black onesie and he's got red pantyhose over his face with no holes cut in it for the eyes and he's got a fake ponytail hanging out the back of his head. And he's with Harley Race for some reason. So if you have not seen this match, <laughs> and you are listening to this podcast, and you hear you, you hear a description of a man with red pantyhose over his head with no eyes, you're like, nah, they're making that shit up. No, really. It was red pantyhose <laughs> over his head with no eyes. This is... This was bad. Super Invader's ring get up is like someone that doesn't watch pro wrestling that says... I'm going to dress up as a pro wrestler for Halloween. That's it. And just make it look as ridiculous as possible. That's what Super Invader is. Super Invader, I made a note, he looks like knockoff version of Kane. Like if you told me what Kane looked like without actually seeing him, 
a guy in red and black with I can a mask see that. I can see and long that. hair. I can see and that. And I put it together just with like what I find at Goodwill. That's what Super Invader here would look like. I can see I can see that very well. Yes. Super Invader is Hercules Hernandez. Why wouldn't they want people to see Hercules' face? He's still a big star, uh, Hercules, even in nineteen ninety two. Hercules Hercules Hernandez is a is a phenomenal wrestler. No, he's not. He's terrible. He's trash, but he's still a popular name. Uh, but yeah, he was I'd, on WrestleMania one. He was on WrestleMania. He did like twenty two straight WWF pay per views. He did, and uh, uh, I don't know why you would put him in this crazy get up. This was bad. And pair him with Harley Race. Well, I would pair him with Harley Race. Yes, I why? agree. I agree with that. Why pairing. would you pair this? I agree. Nutty, I, nutty man with Harley Race. I agree with that pairing just because it goes right back to the fact of Harley Race having the uh, he had Big Van Vader at the time. As well. Oh, I see. okay. So that's Harley why Rice. Jesse, Jesse, and Jr. mentioned that Super Invader could be tagging with Vader in the future. So I guess that's the Harley Race connection. Exactly. But uh, you know who Harley Race looks like here? He looks like a fat Sid Vicious because he's got the curly hair and he's big and fat. He he did have kind of like the yeah the Jerry. He's in better shape he had today. The, he had the white Jerry curl going. He he really did. That's a good question. I didn't bother reading his bio. Uh, he you know what he. His look looked like if you took the face paint off of Sting and sent Sting out there with no personality, no charisma, that's Todd Champion, basically. I can, yes. I have not seen this guy before this. Or after. Or after. Well, one day, uh, Patrick. So, hey, Todd, if you're out there, man, hit us up. We'd like to know. He's still alive. We would like to know some credentials, please. The crowd is totally dead. For this match, they are confused at what they're seeing. A man in pantyhose on his face wrestling a match. They don't know what to think of it. JR and Jesse Ventura, they get bored with the match, and JR starts plugging WCW TV shows. Thanks, man. I paid $30 for the pay-per-view. I don't want to hear about the TV. Todd Champion doesn't know any wrestling moves, it turns out. He tries to start... All he does in this match... Or punches and kicks. He does not do a single wrestling type maneuver. He didn't even. Do, I mean, we're not even. A, a, not even a suplex. Not no. anything. Zero. Nothing. I, I think this kid was just put in there to get thrown around. So Super Invader hits a power bomb and gets the win in five twenty six. That's my one move that happened in this match. Super yeah. Invader gets you, a power bomb and a win in five twenty six. You have a fast forward for a reason when you get to this match, people. No, just, you need to see Super Invader. This is actually one that you need to watch because it's so odd to see Hercules Hernandez in this getup. Yeah, okay. This is a so bad it's good match. It's, I don't know, this I wouldn't say same, it's good. I would say Super Invader is as funny to look at as the Shockmaster. And people need to see Super Invader. He, yeah. That, that would have been that an is, awesome that, tag team. <laughs> But we go on to a better match. JR and Jesse tease the future tag team of Vader and Super Invader. If I was Vader, I don't want to be teamed with somebody named Super Vader, basically. JR and Jesse uh, discuss the upcoming War Games match. Jesse thinks Sting is coming back too soon from his broken ribs. Sting, too soon, dude. Too soon, bro. Richard Morton is out next. Why don't they call him Ricky? Ricky Morton had turned heel at this point in time and joined the corporate offices as Richard. We have to be properly correct. And so heel Ricky Morton is Richard Morton. Okay. He's also considered a light heavyweight. He is not a light heavyweight. 
I could see Ricky Morton being a, a light heavyweight. Big Josh is out next. He's billed from the North Woods. He looks like Richard Karn, Al Borland from Home Improvement. He's got rolled up blue jeans and a flannel shirt with the sleeves cut off and Hacksaw Jim Duggan's 2x4, and he's wrestling in hiking boots. He is the brawny man. Doink, Matt Osborne, Big Josh. This was a bad gimmick. Small note, Bill Alfonso is the ref. Bill Alfonso. Yes. Fonzie, the future manager of Taz and... Sabu. Sabu, and the guy with the annoying whistle. I wanted to ram that whistle so far down his throat. The match starts, Big Josh hits a big slam on Richard Morton, and then he stands on him, and he does the log roll. Which, if you've ever seen a log roll competition, he stomps his feet really quickly like he's, the log is rolling. Like the log is rolling, yeah. He's, he's just rolling Richard around, you would like, or he would like you to think. A lumberjack. What moves would a lumberjack do? He would do the log he roll. He would do the log roll. Richard Morton rips Big Josh's flannel shirt. Oh, that cost a whole three ninety nine at Kmart. Then Richard Morton hits a belly-to-back suplex, followed by an inverted atomic drop. Morton works the loosest arm bar I've ever seen on Big Josh. Big Josh has enough of that, and he finally discards his ripped shirt. He hits a slam and an elbow for a two count. Then Richard Morton goes back to the arm bar. Big Josh works his way out and hits a huge belly-to-belly on Richard Morton. It looked great. Then Big Josh hits a double underhook suplex for a two count. He yells, Timber! And hits the northern exposure for a two count. Wait, Alfonso botches the count. Your services were needed at WrestleWar 92. When you are the greatest referee in the entire world like myself, you don't make mistakes. Bill Alfonso, this is why now you're a manager and not a ref. So yeah, Big Josh hit the whoopee cushion, which is the northern exposure, which is, you know, the running seated senton. He gets a two count. And then Alfonso, when he gets to the three, he just stops his arm short at the... What's, what's that all about, Patrick? I, I don't know. So then Big Josh looks at Alfonso and is like, "That I won. I just won. And Alfonso's like, okay, yeah, you won. In seven minutes and 33 seconds, when the match is over, you can see Richard Morton on the mat probably yelling and cursing at Fonzie for botching the finish. It'd been better if we had a different ref. Like if they had a young child Patrick Young referee. Even then, I think you could have brought your hand down. I could have counted a lot better than this. When you know the finish of a match, or even if you don't know the finish of the match, Patrick, shouldn't you always continue the count? Here's here's my deal. You go into, and this is straight up shoot, ladies and gentlemen, no kayfabe, no, no nothing. When you go into a match, sometimes you know the finish, sometimes you don't. But then there's times where guys won't kick out when they're supposed to. Every time I go down for a three count, my hand's hitting that mat. And if you don't kick out in time, that's your problem. It's not mine. So if you look like a fool, that's on you. That's on you. It ain't on me. So you're always continuing. You're never going to hesitate. I am never going to hesitate. My my hand goes up one, two, three. If you don't kick out, that's your problem. Well, If I give you a five count to break something and you don't break it, you're DQ'd. Uh, you're DQ'd. I'm not. I don't. I don't. I am the authority in that ring. I don't play games. I don't mess around. Well, this is why Fonzie had to quit being a referee. This and is why the Fonzie, managerial business. This is why Fonzie got sent to ECW. So then up next we get Flying Brian and the Z-Man. They're coming up next. Tony and Eric say this is going to be exciting. On WCW Saturday Night, the Z-Man Tom Zink challenges. The Pillman, you get it? Because it's Brian Pillman. He's he should have been the Pillman versus the Z Man here. 
That is brilliant. Tom Zink is out first in his Lex Luger black speedo with his white boots. A very popular combination in the 90s. Flying Brian's out next. He's got his Bengals speedo, and he is the light heavyweight champion. They shake hands, so this is a face-versus-face matchup. Brian and the Z-Man do anything you can do, I can do better spot, where they do the same moves and end with a simultaneous drop kick to each other. They follow that with a simultaneous clothesline, so this is... We're tag team partners. I know you. I know everything you do. So, of course, we're going to hit the same moves at the same time. Jesse knows that somebody will be turning heel. He's wrong, but he hopes because he's a heel commentator. Flying Brian Pillman finally hits a flying head scissors and takes control. He keeps Z-Man's head in his legs and works a submission. The Z-Man gets up and hits a lot of quick pin attempts, a backslide, a small package, etc. Then Brian turns his attention to Z-Man's legs and works the left leg, of course, that's the leg you always work. It's always the left arm and left leg. You got to take him to the mat. And you got to make him take his legs out from take him. his legs out from him so he can't go airborne. Pillman tries a front flip onto Z-Man's legs, and now Z-Man's attacking Pillman's lower back, which was injured in his football career and later re-injured a few weeks ago. So the story of the match is Pillman's going after Z-Man's legs, and Z-Man is going after Pillman's back. Pillman. Pillman. Well, da, 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 da. An, an appropriate title for this man's That would have been for life. this match, actually. I agree. Oh, oh. We get a vertical suplex from the Z-Man and then some knees to Brian's back. A backbreaker to Brian, followed by a splash that gets blocked. Then Brian goes back to work on the leg, dropping elbows into it, and then gets into a half crab. He lets Z-Man up while holding the leg, and Z-Man hits an insiguri. Z-Man misses a splash in the corner. And Pillman slaps on a figure four, a move that Ventura notes that Pillman doesn't do. Z-Man rolls it over and reverses the pressure. Then both men roll into the rope so it gets broken up. Z-Man really sells his leg here. He does a great job of selling his injured leg. Flying Brian hits a few big slaps on Z-Man in the corner. Z-Man throws Flying Brian into the opposite corner. Pillman hops over the ropes, tries a sunset flip, but Z-Man counters it into a slam and the crowd goes nuts Covers one, two, and a kick out. Z-Man chops Brian and whips him to the ropes. Brian comes back and tries a crucifix. Z-Man just falls backwards. Pillman rolls through it and gets a two count. Flying Brian puts Z-Man on the top turnbuckle. Pillman teases a superplex. Then Z-Man shoves him off and hits a big flying crossbody for a two count. Z-Man and Brian Pillman smash into each other going for a running crossbody. So they're going back to the we know each other's moves thing. Then Z-Man throws... Pillman to the ropes and launches him into the air. Pillman soars. He chucks him into the air. And then he face plants into the mat. Z-Man covers for a two and three quarters count. He almost got him. Flying Brian and Z-Man can barely stand up because they're so hurt. Z-Man suckers Pillman into thinking he's really hurt with his leg. So Brian climbs to the top of the ropes. And he counters an axe handle smash with a giant boot. It looked phenomenal. He got full extension on this he big did. boot. He did. Z-Man covers and Pillman, oh, he's in the ropes, Patrick. You got to know where you're at in the ring at all times. Yeah, he should have drug him into the center of the ring. Z-Man tries to move off the top turnbuckle and misses, and Pillman covers for a quick three in 15 minutes and 30 seconds. I thought this was an intense match. It told a great story, and nobody had to turn heel. Both guys looked great. He got beat, but it was a quick roll-up. It wasn't a... A devastating move. This is how to get two guys over with one guy losing clean. I love this match. This was a great match. No complaints whatsoever. This was an unbelievably 
Great match. Yeah, this is the start of the three matches on this card that I really think you should see. Azuka and Fujinami, they're out first. The Steiner brothers are out next. They've got their Michigan Letterman jackets on. Fujinami will start the match versus Scott. Jesse Ventura makes the comparison that it's Detroit automakers versus Japanese ones. So this is the battle of automotive manufacturers. Here's my thing on this match. That kept on throughout the entire match. Well, JR tried to shut him down. And and you took away from a great match by trying to make it a race thing. And it ended up killing this match. These two these four men, these two teams went out there and tore the house down. This is one of the times in which commentators need to shut up and just let wrestlers tell a story. We get a fireman's carry takeover into a cover for two from Scott. Scott botches a fallaway slam. Fujinami falls on top of him. Then Azuka tags in. We get a body slam to Scott. Then an elbow off the second rope. A front flip off the top rope onto Scott Steiner for a two count. Then we get the USA chant going. Azuka looks for the Boston Crab. It's it looks like a Walls of Jericho because it's a standing. The Boston way he's crab. got him bent, yeah, it really does. It, it was phenomenal. Scott powers out of it and does a double underhook power bomb onto Azuka. Then Scott lifts Azuka over his shoulder. He tags in the dog faced gremlin Rick Steiner, who, who, who. who hits an elbow onto Azuka and then applies a reverse chin lock. Fujinami tags back in. Then Rick nails him with a nasty German suplex. Fujinami lands directly on his head. Those Steiner brothers, they're not afraid to suplex you on your head. No, they're not. They're not afraid to drop you on your head and make you think twice about stepping in the ring with them again. Rick says, yeah, you know what? I'm going to tag in Scott. He tags in Scott, who locks in a single crab, and then tags Rick back in. This is not a WCW title match, despite them being the champions, but an IWGP title qualifier. This is to face the IWGP champions, Patrick. Fujinami lifts Rick up into an electric chair position. Then Azuka tags in, dives on to Rick, who counters it into a belly-to-belly. So Rick is up on the shoulders. Azuka dives onto him from the top rope, and Rick turns it into a belly-to-belly, which should have ended the match, quite frankly. This is a super move. I would have took that for the three. He covers and gets a two count. Fujinami breaks it up. Azuka is having trouble seeing because Rick gave him a black eye and a bloody nose from a double-team elbow earlier in the match. Did you notice that? I did not. Yeah, Azuka's got a bloody nose, and that's why he keeps tagging out because his eye is getting black as the match goes on. He tags in, and he keeps working the legs of Rick Steiner. Rick escapes, tags in Scott. Scott hits a -a tilt-a-whirl slam to Azuka for a two-count. Then an exploder suplex, and he tags in Rick. Rick runs Azuka's midsection into the turnbuckle. Scott Steiner tags in. We get an abdominal stretch into a slam for a two-count. Then Azuka tags back in Fujinami. Fujinami starts brawling with Rick before turning his attention to Scott. Fujinami's offense is mostly abdominal stretches and rest holds. Fujinami not the better performer out of these two, though he is much older than uh, Azuka here in this match. Yeah, uh, side note, Fujinami was a former world heavyweight champion and a former nwa world heavyweight champion and uh, i believe beat rick flair for those titles and so fujinami knows knows how to wrestle uh this just wasn't his his night fujinami tags in and azuka help him beat up the faces rick dives off the top turnbuckle for a double clothesline azuka then tags in and hits a bridging german suplex to scott for a two count 
We tag in Fujinami and he hits a spike pile driver with the help of Azuka onto Scott Steiner. Then Fujinami holds up Scott Steiner so Azuka can hit a drop kick off the top rope. Very impressive. Fujinami hooks in a dragon sleeper to Scott Steiner. The first time I can, the earliest scene of a dragon sleeper I've seen. Yeah, I haven't seen one earlier than this. I've... Fujinami gets a dragon sleeper on Scott who makes it to the rope. He tries it again, and Scott kicks him in the face. We get a diving clothesline. Rick gets the hot tag, and Azuka gets the hot tag. Rick hits a Steiner line, which is just a standing clothesline. We get that, and it's followed by an elbow for a two-count, then a belly-to-belly. Everyone starts brawling, and then Rick Steiner hits a belly-to-belly off the top rope onto Azuka for the three-count and the win in 19 minutes and 40 seconds. It was a really really good match and as i was saying earlier it was ruined by commentary uh, jesse ventura does a poor job with this and but this is where jim, someone like a mike tenay would have helped out a lot right and jim ross tried everything to shut jesse up and he just wouldn't shut up this is a great tag team match it still holds up today scott and rick steiner phenomenal and they're going to be heading off into the wwf in a year or so so this is some of the last WCW time that they'll have before they return in 1995. The only team I can think about to even compare them to that's currently wrestling is uh, Gables and Jordan, American Which Alpha. Which I hate. Why? Because it it's an exact Steiner's ripoff. It's but a, that's it's good. It's a Steiner's ripoff. They were a good tag team, so that's good. Yeah, but we've seen it. We don't want to be, be somebody different. Don't be yourself. I mean, don't be somebody else, you know. I got a question for you on this match. This match had a WWE Hall of Famer in it with uh, Tsuki Fujinami. Do you think the Steiners should be in the Hall of Fame? That's a tough call, right? Comparing to when they were together like this for this match, I would go with a yes. I mean... Comparing to their singles career, I'm going to go with a no. So it's, it's a, it's a toss-up in the air. There are two different ways to look at the Hall of Fame. You can look at it... You can look at the Hall of Fame as legit... Which it's not, because it's whoever Vince and the crew pick to go in. Oh, I agree. Because the Bushwhackers are in the Hall of Fame, Patrick. And based on the Bushwhackers being in the Hall of Fame, yes, the Steiner Brothers should be, it should be called the Steiner Brothers Tag Team Hall of Fame if the Bushwhackers are going to be in it. If I was to actually make a Hall of Fame... Would you put the Steiners in it? I would, yes, because I would put... Like the Midnight Express, the Rock and Roll Express, the Road Warriors, and probably the Steiner Brothers. But I agree with you. I think not now, not yet, uh, because I think the Steiner. You haven't seen the the end of the Steiners yet. The Steiners, I think, could come back one of those like a Dudley's kind of deal and have one more good run. Uh, as this a, is as one a of, tag team, not mm, as a singles career. No, I the, their wrestling days are done. But this is a case of. Scott Steiner, he was banned from the Hall of Fame a couple of years ago for threatening Hulk Hogan. So this well, is a guy that has beef with the WWF. And so until he's, unfortunately, I hate to say this, but until Scott Steiner has passed away or Vince McMahon has passed away, we're, we're just not going to see it. Well, I mean, until, I mean, they're going to have to start running even lower on people than they already are. I think... Guys like the Midnight Express and the Rock and Roll Express deserve to be in the Hall of Fame, but because they didn't work for WWE, they haven't been put in it. But that's 
other people who did the same thing are in the Hall of Fame. People that never stepped foot in a WWE ring. Ab- Abdullah the Butcher is in the Hall of Fame. Ab- Antonio Inoki, he's not a WWF guy. He fought, he wrestled WWF wrestlers, but he was never a WWF guy. He's New Japan. He founded New Japan. He founded New Japan, correct. And he's in the Hall of Fame. And then you've got guys that died before the WWF even came around. Like Ed Strangler Lewis, and, uh, you know, all well, those kind of guys. I agree with the the legacy when they did the legacy wing earlier this year with guys like that with uh, Ed Lewis and uh, Luthez. Uh, those are the guys that made what wrestling is today. So yeah, I think they should be. But no, I just you know with the Steiners, I think that I would put the Steiners in there. I think the Steiners should be in the Hall of Fame. Maybe one day, Pat. Maybe one day. But now... First demolition. Tony Schiavone and Eric Bischoff, we go to them. They're not sure who's going to win War Games. We see the cage lowers from the ceiling for War Games. I was impressed that the cage lowered from the ceiling in 1992. Because I was actually concerned. I looked at the timeline on the WWE Network version of this pay-per-view. And I thought, there's a big gap in between the matches, basically. And I thought, this is them assembling the ring. This is going to take them forever. Yeah, they're going to be jawjacking and all that. To yeah. construct the yeah no but no it just I, lowered from the ceiling it even had pyro it, it even did. had fireworks going off on it it did but it they was, used uh, to run war games at house shows so they were pretty accustomed to setting this thing up war, this was of course created by dusty Rhodes. it it was after he saw mad max thunderdome this is a, w- a way to get all four horsemen in the ring at once and uh i love war games i love this war games match but I've seen some War Games matches that happened later in the 90s that I would say, no, never again. I never oh, want to see War I mean, Games again. So it's time for War Games. They give a very long explanation of the rules. They could have really simplified this rule. This is like they have nine talking points, nine bullet points that come on the screen. I can summarize it much quicker, okay? Here we go. There are seven periods in War Games. The first period is five minutes. All the others are two. One from each team starts the match. There's a coin toss, and then that determines who gets the advantage throughout the rest of the match. One man enters the ring every two minutes until all ten competitors are in the ring. Then the only way to finish the match is surrender or submission. That's all you need to say to explain war games. But this WCW announcer, he takes like five minutes. This is minutes. Gary Capetta. Thank, oh, of course you know who it is. I'm friends with Gary Capetta, as a matter of fact. Okay, of course, yes. Gary Capetta takes forever to explain... He confuses the crowd by going, like, I'm confused listening to it, even though I know how War Games goes. (laughs) Like, listening to his recap, I'll put it in this podcast, it's like arithmetic. It's like geometry trying to figure this out. This is a delayed entrance match with five-on-five. This is a five-on-five cage match. Winner takes, or win by submission. Surrender. Surrender. What's the difference between surrender and submission, Patrick? You either say I quit or you tap out. Verbal submission is the same as a surrender. Correct. So there's no difference. <laughs> so they could have just said well, you might not a submission have... is a surrender. Yeah. You're onto something there. There are no DQs in the match, and the head referee, Patrick Young, you'll love this part. The head referee has the final say. That's right. He has the final say in every match, though. I'm the ref, and what I say goes. CEO Paul E. Dangerously. He leads out the Dangerous Alliance. They're led by Medusa. We get Rick Rude, Stunning Steve, Larry Zabisco, Arn Anderson, and beautiful Bobby Eaton. 
Sting Squadron is out next. They're led by the world champion, Sting, and Nikita Koloff, Ricky Steamboat, and the natural Dustin Rhodes, along with Barry Windham. Which is a great tactic. It's hard to believe that Dustin Rhodes is still wrestling all these years later. That is... And Dustin he, Rhodes is a great wrestler. No. And I, Maybe. I, yes. I love the natural Dustin Rhodes gimmick. Stunning Steve, he's going to start for the heels. Imagine this. Stone Cold Steve Austin is the first man in the match. No. Yeah. Well, <laughs> not in 1998, this would not be the case. But in 1992, no. yes. Stunning Steve with his beautiful blonde hair. He's in there first. And Barry Windham is going to start for the faces. They start brawling. They go high speed. This is like Austin at X7 last week. Wyndham hits a body slam and misses an elbow drop. There are no refs inside this cage. Wyndham attempts a power bomb, but Austin counters it into a back body drop. Wyndham almost hits the top of the cage with his feet because it's a low ceiling on this cage. It is a low ceiling. Polly Dangerously is shown outside coaching the heels. They're coming up with strategy. See, this is good kayfabe. It is. Because instead of just standing there looking you, you stupid. Need, you need strategy. You, you need, need to, a coach. You need a coach. Barry Wyndham whips Austin into the other ring, gets a huge DDT. The DDT is so over in 1992. Stunning Steve clotheslines Barry back into the first ring. Stunning Steve uses the roof of the cage. He lifts himself up and tries a drop kick, but he misses, and he face plants into the mat. Barry Windham throws Steve into the cage. Austin takes this opportunity to blade, and his face gets cheese grated into the cage by Barry Windham. Austin, at about two minutes after this, I don't know if he had been drinking a ton of water, but his face was blood. This is gruesome. Cover. This was gruesome. Like we saw at X7, this man is a great blader. Yeah. This guy. I mean, this was like squirting out. This is a out. horror match. This is like squirting out blood. This is, yeah. Wyndham even bites Austin's wound right into the camera. That is vicious. I don't want your blood in my mouth. Sorry, dude. I'm not a big germaphobe, but if we're in a match and you blade, I'm not doing the bite your face spot into the camera. That's gross, man. And this is intense. This is intense. Think about this match in comparison to what WWF is doing in 1992. This is serious stuff. That's it, it, going it really on. is. It really is. This is not kids. Kids stuff. This is not kid friendly. This is. Uh, <laughs> Austin, this is not gobbledy gooker. <laughs> Austin was pouring blood. Oh my goodness! Like this was. This really was. Randy Orton at SummerSlam pouring blood. This was this was bad. The ref, the ref does the coin toss to see who gets the advantage for the next man, and the heels surprise, surprise, they get the advantage, and that means that Rick Rude is up next. He enters the ring. Austin wakes up and helps double team Wyndham with Rick Rude. Then Austin hits a clothesline off the second rope onto Wyndham. He can't jump off the top rope because of the ceiling. Barry Windham's tights are covered in Stone Cold Steve Austin's blood. Stunning Steve Austin's blood. Then two minutes tick down, and Ricky Steamboat is up next for the faces. He's the, got a Band-Aid over his nose for some reason. The dragon. The dragon. Ricky Steamboat is next. The crowd goes nuts. They love Ricky. Everyone loves Ricky Steamboat. This is the greatest baby face in all of pro wrestling because he was never heel. He was never heel. And people just love this guy. There's just something about him. He's not a, he's not a great promo. He's no. a great wrestler. But he's not a great promo. He, his in-ring ability speaks for itself. And uh, it's led him to being in the Hall of Fame. It's led him to having a comeback. 
Ricky the Dragon Steamboat is a great wrestler. Steamboat, he just clears house when he hits the ring. DDT to Rick Rude. DDT to Stone Cold Steve Austin. Steamboat is fired up. Then Stunning Steve cuts him off, and Steamboat drop kicks him from the roof of the cage in receipt. He hurricane Rana's Rick Rude while holding the roof of the cage. This is probably the first hurricane Rana that Rick Rude was ever had performed on him. And it's done from the roof of the cage. And then he throws strikes as he's pinned down to Rick Rude. Barry Windham wakes up and focuses on Austin and takes him to the other ring. So now Barry Windham's with Austin in one ring and Rick Rude and Ricky Steamboat are in the other. Two minutes tick down. Arn Anderson. Arn Anderson. Double A. Ric Flair's best friend in the whole wide world. He's in next. Arn comes in. DDT's Windham. Of course, he goes after the former horseman. See? This is what I love about this match is because... Everybody has a bit of history with the other guy. There's some kind of storyline for is. most of them. There is, yeah. And so, of course, he goes after that turncoat horseman, Barry Windham, hits him with a DDT, and then a huge arm spine buster, beautiful, the Ricky Steamboat, and then a double Boston Crab, because Rick Rude comes over and grabs one leg, and Arn grabs the other, and they lock a Boston Crab onto Ricky Steamboat. Because you need help to do a Boston Crab. Two, two is better than one, so, you know. Barry Windham breaks it up. He gets double-teamed by Rude and Anderson. Rick Rude hits a pile driver to Ricky Steamboat, then Arn chucks Steamboat into the other ring. He flies over the ring. I mean, super sells it. Rick Rude goes over to fight him. Then two minutes tick down, and Dustin Rhodes, the natural. Is that what he is? The natural, Dustin Rhodes. The natural Dustin Rhodes is in next. He goes after Arn Anderson, so a family feud. That, that is a family feud. He's taking it up for Dusty. He gives him the Dusty elbow, and then he gets the shine on Austin. He hits an atomic drop, and Austin hits his head on the top of the cage from the atomic drop from Dustin. Steamboat has a Boston Crab on Rick Rude in one ring. The faces are beating the heels. We get an electric chair from Dustin Rhodes to Austin. Then Barry Windham, he's tucked Arn Anderson's head in between the two rings and holds him upside down. This is a great idea. It, it, it is. It's a great uh, It's a great. It spot. looks very painful, it's, and this is probably why Arn Anderson's neck surgery happened a few years later from spots like this. Not in a million years am I going to let you stick my head in between two wrestling rings. No way, pal. <laughs> And uh, if you go back and watch, I think this spot has been done in almost every War Games. So I'm sure it has. I mean, it's a you great got the two rings. It's a great spot. Yeah. Ricky Steamboat works a figure four on Rick Rude, and two minutes tick down. Larry Zabisco is in next. The living legend. So Zabisco gets in next. He's greeted by Dustin Rhodes. Dustin hits him with some big strikes. Medusa climbs to the top of the cage, the top of the cell, and gives Arn Anderson, Polly Dangerously, his telephone. This I guess is, he won't be making any more calls the brick, The old brick phone. The old brick cell phone. He hands it to him. Now, unfortunately, the camera misses Arn actually smashing the guy with it. You can see it through the shot, but the, stop, the shot stays wide on Medusa on the top of the cage. Now, see... I'm a conspiracy theorist that years later, Mick Foley is backstage watching this and says, in 1998, you know, I saw Medusa do something great one time on the top of the cell. I think I'm going to give this a try. So Medusa's on the top of the cell. Sting climbs up the other side, and Medusa gets scared and runs away. She took her heels off to climb up there barefooted. And, <laughs> and she's committed to winning this she match. Is she is. She is very committed. 
But if you watch closely, not only does he hit Arn, hit him with the phone, but then Arn just pushes the cage out and slides it down outside of the cage. Why did he get rid of the phone? Why the hell did you not just pull the cage out and hand it to him up like this? (laughs) Why make her climb to the very top? Make that woman work. She's earning her paycheck. Now, I didn't notice that, that they just slid it out. I just slid it out. So they could have just slid it in the same way. Yeah. Or there is a door. You could have just brought it in with you. Exactly. Why? I never thought about this. Why did this is the hard way to bring this phone into the ring? Why? Yeah. I mean, why make her climb just for her to have something to do? I guess I really I don't know. Well, maybe they were afraid referee Patrick Young would be on the outside when confiscate that phone. Had I been there, I would have. This was Medusa's one spot in the match. It really was. So everyone is working rest holds. They're just waiting for the next guy now. They they deserve a break. They went really hard the first at, half at of this match. At this point in time, Stone Cold Steve Austin and Barry Windham are pouring blood. That's the two who started the match here. I mean, they are really, really bloody. Sting is up next. The captain is not last. The world champ. He should be in last. It's Nikita Koloff ends up being it last, is, it but is Nikita that Sting is up next. He runs in. He batters Arn Anderson, of course. He hates the horseman. And then Rick Rude, who beat him for the U.S. title a few months ago. See? Consistency. It makes sense that Sting goes after these guys. He presses Rick Rude into the cage, like lifts him up for a press slam, and just keeps lifting him into the cage. That's Sting is not... a. A giant man. I mean, at this point, he's bigger than the Sting he, of later he, on. But he's, he's pretty jacked here. He's jacked, but yeah, Rick Rude's not a small guy to no. just be lifting up like I'm he's six, nothing. I'm 6'3". Rick Rude, I think, was 6'4", six, 6'5", six, and about 250, so yeah. So he just lifts Rick Rude up into the top of the cage multiple times. Then he back body drops Austin into the side of the cage. At this point, Arn Blades, after Sting grinds his head into the cage. Two minutes pass, and the last up for the heels. Beautiful Bobby Eaton. Your boy, Bobby boy. Eaton. Last for the heels. Shout out to Bobby. After he enters, there's a tight shot of Dustin Rhodes. Now, he is the man drenched in blood. <laughs> he is worse than anybody else in this match. He has it all over him. Yes, he does. This this was a very bloody match, and it's not it's far from over. This is five on four for the heels. Rick Rude and Zabisco start loosening up a turnbuckle in the corner. What are they doing over there, Patrick? <laughs> Referee Patrick Young should have been it. There were no refs in the match. Oh, I still would have been yelling in there, hey y'all, cut that out. Rude and Zabisco loosen the turnbuckle on one ring, and so now the top rope is loose. It's very odd. It's an odd visual because you don't see loose ropes anymore. Two minutes pass, and Nikita Koloff is the last hope for the faces. Now, Ventura teases a heel turn when he enters because you never know if he's going to backstab Sting. You know, he wants that belt, Patrick. He does. And now the rules change to submit or surrender. We are entering the last part of this match. Nikita Koloff immediately enters the ring, and he looks at Sting, and he offers his hand. Take my hand, Sting! He doesn't say that, but that's what I heard in my head. (laughs) Sting stares at him for a minute, but then the heels break it up before they can shake hands or do whatever. And then Koloff and Sting chase off the heels. Then they look at each other. Koloff raises his arms for the high five. And Sting and Koloff hit a big high five, a double high five. So you know these guys are working together, together, Patrick. Even though they did that, it would be great if Koloff turned on him after that because... 
Sting is a sucker for getting people to turn oh. on. Ric Flair turns on him every chance he gets. Yeah. So and, Sting's a sucker. He would have been able to. The crowd would have loved that even more. I think. Oh, that would have been that awesome. That would have been. If only we could book it a little bit differently. Now the ring ropes in both rings are loose, so I guess Rude and uh, Rude and the heels have been working on these ring ropes they for had, a while. They had problems. It comes into play in, in the end, and uh, I'll talk about that, but proceed. Sting puts the Scorpion Deathlock on Arn Anderson. Bobby Eaton breaks it up. Bobby Eaton has gotten the broken turnbuckle completely loose. Hey, look at this. The turnbuckle's broken. Now, Jesse hilariously thinks that Bobby Eaton is trying to fix the turnbuckle. Bobby Eaton's a good guy. He's Bobby, trying to fix the turnbuckle. Me and you, me and you have hung out with Bobby quite a few times, and uh, and Bobby Eaton is a is a great guy, a very nice man, very uh, good friend of mine. And, uh, and so he was just trying to do the right thing. He was trying to do the right thing. And uh, I love Jesse's heel commentary here. This is the best Jesse was all night. Was saying, "Oh, well, he's just trying to fix the turnbuckle, Jr." Yeah, someone should get in there and help him. He's trying to do the right thing. He is trying to do the right thing. The, the ring is broken, and he is the only man that can fix it. He is trying to help so no one gets hurt. Now, unfortunately, he handed the broken turnbuckle to Larry Zabisco. Now. He handed it, clearly saying, here, Larry, you please fix the turnbuckle for me. Exactly. But Larry took it to mean, hit these guys with this broken turnbuckle. So, Larry Zabisco rears back the broken turnbuckle as Bobby Eaton holds uh, Sting. And instead of hitting Sting, oh, Zabisco messes it up for everybody. And he catches Bobby Bobby Eaton Eaton in the arm. Right in the arm. So, Sting wrenches an arm bar on Bobby. And Bobby, oh no, Patrick. Bobby has to. Bobby has, has to do the job here. He has to give it up. Well, he got hit with. I mean, piece of a a metal rebarb. You know, that's yeah. It was it was painful. He was in a lot of pain here. So Bobby Eaton submits. And he submits. Sting Squadron. Boo! The faces win in twenty three, twenty seven. What'd okay. you think of this match? So, key point here: taking the turnbuckle off. You saw them throughout this match keep cutting over. They were having so much trouble getting that damn turnbuckle off that they actually were thinking about going to another ring and trying to do it on that side, on the in the other ring. And at this point in time, that is why you had both rings. So they didn't have luck with either of them. And they finally Just kept working after at it. yeah, till one of them said, "Hey guys, I got this one off over here." To do the finish. Now, there was a shot one time of Rick Rude actually, like, trying to unscrew this thing by hand. And even yeah. Jesse Venture and JR are both like, wow, he's exerting a lot of energy yeah. on this. Because he really was. I mean, he was yeah. putting some serious effort into trying to get that thing. It they was, could have gimmicked the turnbuckles a little bit They should have, more. because that thing was cinched up tight. And uh, But I love this match. This is a phenomenal match. This, this match made this pay-per-view. For- I think the last three matches... The uh, Flying Brian and the Z-Man, the Steiner Brothers and the Japanese guys. Sorry, I, I don't care about their names. And then this match. But this match, yes, definitely. This, uh, did you say greatest war games of all time? I haven't seen all the war games matches. And I, 
I certainly we certainly haven't seen the ones that were in house shows that right. you know we'll never see I footage s- of those. Well, I said last week when when you announced this, and I'm still going to stand by it. The best, I would say, top two. It's in the top two greatest war games of all time. This to me, I was so excited at the. I will watch this match over and over again anytime. Yeah, this I'll, is how a multi-man match should be laid out. It's never boring. Never, yeah. not a minute. You have story. You know, you have story history with individuals. You have, and that played out inside the cage. You had uh, the cage itself being uh, used properly. You had outside interference with Medusa. I mean, this match had it all. Everybody looked good. Even yeah. though Bobby Eaton lost the match, everybody still looked great exactly. in the match. Yeah. Even yeah. the heels. I yeah. thought the heels looked better than the faces, even though and, the faces. And, lost. I mean, and they spend a good four minutes jaw jacking, you know, blaming Larry Zbysko afterwards. Oh, that's hilarious! I which love is, which is funny. It's hilarious to watch. He had that, that uh, steel ring support. Zabisco, the cruncher, said he doesn't know. He doesn't know. And uh, and Zabisco's trying to blame Bobby, and Bobby's like, what the hell did you do that for? Yeah, and after the match, the heels comically argue with one another. Everyone blames Larry. It was yeah. definitely Larry. He he fucked this up for us today. Yeah. It was. It's a great match. The faces get their shine on the ramp. Sting and Koloff are the only two who didn't get bloody and beaten, of course. The superstars. They did the the least amount of work and took the least amount of damage. I love Larry as he's telling them, you know, oh, I screwed up or whatever. He starts kicking the ropes. He's, he's yeah. so mad. This is the best multi-man match I can remember. And that includes, I'm sorry, but the Elimination Chamber in WWE, the Armageddon Hell in a Cell, they don't touch this. This is way no. better yeah. than that. Also... To be fair to those matches, the quality of the competitors in this match, this is a who's who of Hall of Famers and great I mean, wrestlers. When you look back, you've got, I mean, just seriously sit here and think about it. You have the natural Dustin Rhodes on the scene squadron who basically single-handedly changed the Attitude Era with the Gold Dust gimmick. Barry Windham, former world champion. Ricky Steamboat, former world champion. Nikita Koloff, former world champion. Sting, former world champion. All... Uh, all five of them men Hall of Famers. On the Dangerous Alliance side, you had Rick Rude, former world champion. Larry Zabisco, former world champion. Arn Anderson, known for being the toughest dude, I think, to ever lace up a pair of boots. Stone Cold Steve Austin, more than just world champion. I mean, Hall of Famers, you know, a whole generation, a whole era stood on his shoulders. And Bobby Eaton, who is... Literally the greatest, and I will make this statement till the day I die, the greatest tag team wrestler of all time is beautiful Bobby Eaton. All managed by one of the greatest managers of all time, Paul Heyman, That's outside right. the ring. And so uh, even Medusa's contribution to the match, I think this match is almost perfect. This is almost a perfect multi-man match. Yes. It doesn't get much better than this. No. And this is the way to do... The great thing about this War Games format, having the two minutes, having the delayed entrances, it gives the fans something to look forward to. And it also... The performer comes in and he's fresh. He doesn't have to just lay around while other guys do their spots or whatever. It right. always feels new and fresh every two minutes. And and I that's why I think WWE should do four games. I don't think they would do it justice though. When you see one Oh no, they won't they won't they will never compare to this match. They could if they wanted to. I think that and it what's sad about this too is that 
this is, like I said, compare it to what WWF is doing at this time. Just cheesy, corny, kid stuff. This yeah. is very adult. This is way ahead of the Attitude Era. This is way ahead of its time. Yeah, I mean, this was a very bloody match. They had to do a couple of screen edits just to not show, you know, Austin's face and... They were careful with showing yeah, close-up shots because there was some there was some guys that were really, really, really bloodied, and uh, but yeah, this was I love this match. And this is a case where it's not it's not blading just to have blood in the match. It help it adds to the story. It yeah. feels it feels real. Like if I was really wrestling you in a cage, you'd probably get busted open at some point. I mean, you see. If there's two kids outside wrestling in their yard and they decided to, hey, I'm going to take his head and rub it against this chain leap fence, it's the same thing. What's sad about this is that WCW would do more War Games matches after this, but it just didn't compare. It didn't compare, and especially I'm going through watching Nitros and WCW from 96, and now I'm into 97, and those War Games matches were garbage. I mean, so... Even the people that originated I mean, it. you had one more games from 96, I believe, where the whole the whole match was spotted around Ric Flair getting his head smashed in the door with a door to end the match. Yeah. I and mean... That, well, once the NWO arrived on the scene, it was always WCW, NWO in some form or fashion. Right. Like, uh, this, this was... I cannot put into words how much I love this match. You have to watch this match. This if you're is a, a if you're a wrestling fan. Yeah, yeah, if you're a fan of pro wrestling, and even if you're like Sting is not the greatest in ring performer. You know, he's not a great wrestler. But this is the best way to utilize someone like Sting, who's not a great in ring wrestler. Because he gets match. his two to three minutes of full blown, wide open, and you're thinking, dude, this guy, you can't, he cannot be. Stopped. He looks great. Yeah. And he doesn't have to do much work. Exactly. He doesn't get exposed. Exactly. And the guys that can do work, they get to carry. They get to work. The Stone Cold Steve Austin and Barry Windham, two great workers, can stay in the whole match and keep busy. Because right. imagine if Sting entered first, he would just be laying in a rest hole. Yeah. For thirty minutes. That's what. That's my problem with elimination chamber matches or the six man Hell in a Cell Armageddon match. It's just two guys. They get the spotlight. The other four, or however many, they just lay outside the ring or whatever. I hate the way that's done. Give the guys something to do. They don't have to do much. Like a lot of time in this match, they were in, you know, a figure four, or they were hanging guy in between the two rings or whatever. Like right, it wasn't just hey, I'm gonna lay here and wait for my spot. It was yeah. Uh, there was side action going on. It never, I mean, and it never was even commentated on. It was just... It was too much. JR mentions at one point, there's too much to even call here. Yeah. And this is a, ma- a great match to go back and watch to find little things that you miss the first time or the second time. You can well, always yeah. find something. Like, it took me... I've, I've watched this match over 100 times probably, and it took me 20 or 30 times to see them slide the phone back out underneath the cage see you didn't even recognize it till I, no. until I said it here so in future episodes of the retro wrestling podcast we will come across something that touches this but we we shall see now overall what are your thoughts on the paper without this match I would say it was crap oh yeah with this match I would give it a I don't know let's see 
What do you think? I'm going to think about it. What do you think? This pay-per-view, the first opening matches, the first several matches, the first few matches on this card are not good by any stretch of the imagination. However, they're easy to sit through. I found that the the Freebirds match is the hardest to get through, and unfortunately, it's first. Yeah. Because the first few times, I try and watch these shows a couple of times. I actually put the network on when I go to bed. And uh, so I turn this on without taking notes, without watching it critically for this show. And it was hard to make it out of the first match. Yeah. But once you make it out of the first match... We promise it will get better. It'll get better. And even the bad matches, Johnny B. Bad versus... Tracy Smothers. Yes. It's a bad match, but it's only seven minutes. Johnny B. Bad's funny to look at. It's an easy watch. The bad matches are easy watches, and the good matches, which is Flying Brian and the Z-Man, Tom Zink, that's a good match. So you'll want to watch that. You'll So it's an easy pay-per-view to get through once you get past the first match. Is it perfect? No. Is it a... From WCW pay-per-views I've seen, it's still a top-tier WCW pay-per-view. Now... We came from watching the best pay-per-view ever, WrestleMania X7, so we're coming off of, like, a very high standard. So, right. But compare that, compare this to our first episode, WWF In Your House 13 Final Four. It's a million times better than that yeah. show. And yes, the War Games match takes it a notch above an above-average show. I would say this is a stellar show, and on the scale of Hornswoggle... To Giant Gonzalez, our rating scale. I am going to have to give this one a a Brian Adams. A very tall man, but not the tallest. I was thinking that. Like, you know, Chains, Crush. yeah, Chains, the underfaker. Yeah. Brian the, Lee. Brian Lee. Yeah, that's a uh, that's what I was thinking. Without the match, without the uh, the War Games match, it's a... It's a really good episode of WCW Saturday Night. Yeah, it's it's a Rey Mysterio, but with this match, you know, added to it, it it's it, it's very well. It's very high up there. Uh, so yeah, I would say Crush, Chains, Brian Adams. Yeah. So we both give this a Brian Adams, the first, a double. I agree. Yes. A double rating, a same rating from you Patrick Young. You can't give it a giant Gonzalez because you just don't have Ric Flair on it. Yeah, what's missing? The pieces that are missing. Jesse Ventura was good. He wasn't great on this. He was never great in WCW. He was never his WWF level. No. But JR's very good. He gets a little overdone with the college football stuff. Every He's always got everyone's football history. So the commentary, and I liked how... They split it up and had Tony and Eric toss to the announcers. I liked that dynamic. But yeah, there are pieces missing that I... Having Ric Flair on this card, having him in the War Games match would have been... That would have sent it higher. Or even having him have a title match. Yeah. A t- like a, They had all their champions in this match. The US, the TV, and the world title holder are all in this War Games match. Had you had all of them except the world title belt and you had Flair on last versus somebody, I think then it would have been... It would have been Giant Gonzalez. It would have been closer to Giant Gonzalez. I would have made it if if it was, yeah, but uh, it wasn't. So yeah, I think a, a a Brian Lee or Ron, you know, Brian Adams, Brian Adams, a tall six footed man. Yeah, yes, that is our that is our official rating for Wrestle War nineteen ninety two, the war to settle the score, so to speak. 
No scores were settled, and no wars were won. Nevertheless, a review was done. And now, Patrick Young, this was my pick as we are entering the fall season, and I wanted to see war games, which are associated with fall brawl. Where will we be going next week, Patrick? I am going to take it one year later. All the way to 1993. 1993. WCW. Back to WCW. Slam 1993 Legends Reunion, Legends Night in WCW. Okay, you're going to have to explain Legends Night very quickly. Legends Night is uh, was there was WCW's first attempt at doing a Hall of Fame show sculpted around tradition of NWA. It was it was not done to its best abilities, but when you think of WCW and the NWA. Legends Night 93 Slamboree was, uh, I think they even call it Legends Reunion, is what they may have changed it. At first it was Legends Night, then they they may have changed it to Legends Reunion. Um, It was a great card. Not the best in the world. But you add the card mixed in with seeing legendary people that have now since passed that it was so awesome to see guys like Luthez who were still around long enough to be able to to get recognition for what they had done in the business. I really am looking forward to doing this this episode. So that is our review for next week's Slamboree 1993 Legends Reunion. As picked by the legend himself, Patrick Young will also have our thoughts on the results of Backlash, which we're going to watch a couple matches here in just a few minutes, but... For the Retro Wrestling Podcast, as always, I am intern Alex. And I am the one and only, the greatest referee in professional wrestling, Patrick Young. Saying? And we're out of here. Bingo, bango. Clothesline. Clothesline. Your closing line is a clothesline. Absolutely. Ah!